you know, if people want to work with you, it's because they, 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 they know you. And so, um, trying to build out like a, um, trying to just like develop a sense of confidence as a collaborator and as an artist, I think became a really major, um, priority of mine by maybe my second year of Peabody or maybe even after graduating. This is Max Q, the podcast by Peabody's Launchpad office dedicated to demystifying what life is like after graduation. Every episode, we sit down with a recent Peabody alumni to get their take on what life is like for working artists in today's world. Multifaceted careers, time management, finances, finding balance between your work and your life. We explore that and more on the Max Q podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Mancior. In this interview, I'm speaking with Bobby G, a Chinese-American composer, pianist, and educator who graduated from Peabody with his master's degree in composition in 2020. Since then, Bobby has collaborated on several multimedia projects, won some composer residencies and competitions, and his works have been performed and commissioned by a variety of different orchestral and chamber ensembles. Currently, he's pursuing his PhD in composition as a Nomberg Fellow at Princeton University. Hi, Bobby. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Um, if you could get us started just by telling us a little bit about what your life looks like right now, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so I just started uh, the program uh, in the, or the PhD program in composition here at Princeton. Um, just, I, yeah, I guess it's only been three months or so since moving here. Um, the program's like a five-year long thing, so I'm going to be situated here for a little bit. But yeah, most of my time is just spent with taking class or taking classes, writing music, and um, working on commissions and that kind of thing for um, external projects and such. So that's basically my life these days. Awesome. Can you tell me more about the commissions and composition projects that you've been working with? Um, either like kind of a couple examples of what they are and maybe how you got into those? Yeah. Um, let me think. So I think the biggest project that I just wrapped was this um, commission for the New York Youth Symphony. They have this um, annual like orchestra or uh, music commissioning program called uh, First Music, where basically composers apply, you submit some um, previous work of yours, and then they choose a couple of people to write new pieces for their group. Um, yeah, and so it's this like I, they asked for this like ten minute orchestra piece that they're doing up in Carnegie next spring. So. Um, that's the main thing that been, that's been occupying my time. It was a very tight deadline, but it was really fun to work on. Um, yeah, so that was one of the big ones. Other than that, there were a couple of just like sort of random and fun projects. Um, this high school director out in um, out in California asked for like a. I think she discovered my music on TikTok or something. I wasn't <laughs> even sure how my music ended up on TikTok, but apparently she found that, um, and then she asked me to write like a piece for her uh, for her high school strings and percussion group. It was a really interesting setup. Um, but that's been sort of two of the external projects. And then in school here at Princeton, um, they have this program called, or this sort of concert series called the Princeton Sound Kitchen, where they bring in um, performers on like a monthly or by month or every two months, I guess, basis to sort of perform and record student pieces. And so I have a few of those I'm working on right now as well. So that's mostly what's been okay. up. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm curious what your... Uh, at least sometimes, what is your composition process, especially when you're working on those deadlines and you have 
multiple projects going at a time, because I can imagine that could be challenging creatively and also kind of in terms of a time management sense, too. Dang. Okay. So for the, I guess for the longer term projects or the ones where it's like, okay, you have, you know, a couple of months, several months to work on and think about it. I tend to um, try and uh, draft like ide initial ideas and or from like a more philosophical sense of it, like, <laughs> where it's less like, okay, here's like a melody or a couple of notes and it's more, what's the intention behind the piece? What is the sort of emotional state that I'm currently in or the kind of, um, a grander theme or idea that I'm trying to convey. And then from there, begin generating. Uh, for myself, I really like to listen to other people's music, actually. Uh, different people will tell you different things. But for myself, I've always found that really helpful and listen to a bunch of sort of what I call like reference tracks, I guess, and then piecing together little bits and ideas and sounds or moments that feel uh, meaningful or feel somehow evocative of the theme. And then from there, trying to build out like a vocabulary of sound and then starting to draft ideas and all, or actual like, you know, putting notes down on, on paper, if you will. Um, that's for like longer term projects for like projects where it's like, I have like, oh, you have like two weeks to write something. I, uh, I, I, I kind of just start <laughs> writing and hope, God, I just have hope for the best. Um, it doesn't always, um, yeah, but for those ones, I feel like results vary considerably. <laughs> but, what do you, what um, do you yeah. think has, has helped you, especially on those shorter term things to kind of, I don't know, get in a creative groove in yeah. the time that you need, you know, because <laughs> at least I know for myself, sometimes I like, I need time to be creative and like to get into that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I feel like once you've been writing for a little while, you start to find patterns and recurring themes or motives or or just general ideas that, you know, are inter personally interesting to you. Um, I hate to say that, you know, that there are some pieces that are more autopilot-y than others, but I think in truth, I think in truth, everybody kind of has that at a certain point where there's like a, you know, when you've written for a little while, you have a certain sort of style or sound that you know like oh I, I i can do this i know it works mm -hmm. or i think it works so i'm gonna sort of go for that again and just see if i can put a spin on it and some um, for whatever the you know restrictions are for the shorter deadline now one thing the one thing that i didn't mention earlier that's personally um kind of the only way that i'm really able to write is i tend only to work on one piece at a time actually like even if there's a bunch of deadlines all stacked up um, I actually have a big calendar of, of like which piece I'm going to work on at a time because I oh. at first I don't I don't I don't know why this is for myself. I'm really really bad at switching between different like musical projects. I tend to, I think when I've done that in the past and the and the most I've ever juggled I, I, the most I've ever tried to juggle at the same time was like I think three pieces, and I think when that happened they all just sort of started to sound like the same piece. So I started blending <laughs> ideas together on accident. I was like oh no this isn't really working so. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's just me though. I know I know people who like can do like ten different projects and switch between them. Like I don't know how. I don't know. <laughs> my <laughs> mind is too. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, but it's a little but, different for everybody. So it sounds like you, for you having some separation of each thing is helpful. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's good. That's good to have. What about um, as we're kind of talking about kind of like managing time and projects? Because I know you've been involved in a variety of different kinds of projects and been successful at managing multiple things at once how do you um how do you kind of keep yourself organized and and motivated especially when you're not doing deadlines for school maybe it's an external deadline where you're choosing that thing I think on the broader level for myself like I sort of mentioned earlier I, at this point I have like a 
It's like a Google spreadsheet, actually, of just all the pieces I need to write and then organize by deadline. And then I sort of try to eyeball how many days I think it'll take to finish one piece. That like never is correct. But but it's like sort of helpful to be like, this will take 45 days to write. So then I, you know, what's the latest time I should start this piece or that kind of thing based on what the deadline is. And then um, sort of go taking it from there. Uh, Yeah. And so that's... you know, I mean, it. I don't know that I follow that calendar super precisely, but it's just nice to have as some kind of like, okay, here's like a way of visually organizing what's happening, what I need mm-hmm. to work on next. Um, yeah, so know. it's less about it being exact and like being yeah. adhering to those days exactly, but more about like you have a general sense of what needs to happen mm-hmm. when and you can see that. Yeah, exactly. And so I, at any given moment, I have a rough idea of what I should be working on instead of yeah. just, you know, when it's like totally, when it's totally wide open, there's this moment of like, Oh, what do I do? Which which piece do I work on? And then you, then you, and then if you if you're if you're like me, you just don't work on any of them. <laughs> you know? So um, yeah, uh, okay. that's one thing. Yeah, that's really yeah. helpful. Thanks for sharing that. I'm curious if you can share a little bit about kind of what are the things that you did during Peabody and the things maybe you're doing now during your doctorate at Princeton and any, even in your undergrad. What are the things that really helped you prepare? for professional composition work that you're doing now? Okay, well, if there was one thing that I was really excited about, it was this kind of um, initiating, you know, collaborations and sort of being, learning to figure, like learning how <laughs> to go about doing that without coming across as, um, I guess like, or tr- hopefully not coming across as tacky or pushy or something. I, I just hope mm-hmm. it's something that I've managed to do. Yeah. Um, because I don't know, I feel like um, it's really with, with composing, with making music, like at the end of it, so much of it is, I don't know, making music, at least I think ideally is making music with your friends or just or reaching out to people and being like, hey, I have this idea, um, you know, that maybe, maybe we could build together. And if there was something that was exciting or particularly exciting at Peabody, it was, you know, I felt like I had this space with a lot of friends around me. And then I also had access to, you know, like Baltimore and this like big art scene and all that kind of thing that was going on there. And so there's one thing that sort of, that I wanted to try out, it was, what if I just started sending emails to people, whether it was, you know, people in the theater scene in Baltimore or painters in the area or, mm. you know, the, the Enoch Pratt Library. And I'm just emailing them and asking, hey, are there ways that we could work together? Are there projects that we could, are there, I have this idea, could I, could we maybe try and put something together? And, and, and the thing that surprised me the most is realizing how often people said yes, actually. That's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, which was really striking to me because I, I was just like, it was like first year masters at Peabody. Didn't know, I, I, I know nothing to my name, like no, not no real portfolio to speak of. And it was surprising to me how many um, artists and, you know, writers and venues and all were surprisingly generous with um, with their, I guess, their resources and their time. And I don't know, I think learning to do that and figure out a means of, or figure out what it looks like to initiate and build collaborations and these sort of the world beyond just Peabody and then, and then also leveraging resources at Peabody because, you know, all the musicians who ended up playing my stuff were my friends at Peabody. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. was something that I think was really uh, exciting and fun to figure out. I had no idea what I was doing, but it was really exciting to try and build those collaborations. And, and most of them, I think, turned out pretty, like, surprisingly well and pretty surprisingly effective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I remember a few projects that you did during your time at Peabody that were probably fruits of those, of those, that outreach. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if you can dig deeper into like what worked 
Because you said you were figuring this out. What was maybe, I mean, maybe there are things that didn't work at first, but what did you see start to work when you were getting those positive responses? I think one small thing was just showing up to other people's shows. You know, like there was a, there was this collective of painters in Baltimore, called Art 10 Baltimore. And I, I discovered their work because I, I think I saw like an exhibition of theirs at, um, which was, oh, it was the Charles Theater. And so I just saw their work. I really liked it. And so I sent them an email and just said, hey, I saw your work. And I think that, and this, them, I think being able to say or tell people that you've encountered their work and sort of have tried to engage with it on some level, really, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like an act of generosity and kindness that I think people generally respond to, you know, um, it was the same deal when I started trying to make friends in the theater scene and all of that, I would just go to random shows and, you know, just see what the deal was and see, and if there was anything that sort of grabbed my attention or if there were people or actors or writers or directors who seemed exciting, I would, you know, try and find them after the show, shake their hand. I, I find that, you know, it, it might be a little awkward initially trying to think to myself, like, oh, I'm going to introduce myself to this you know, total stranger or something. But but I find that more often than not, people are like really cool with that. You know, like, I mean, if you're if you're a musician or a composer and some total stranger in the audience comes up and says, hey, yo, you're awesome. I think your, your performance was great. Let's let's do something together. It's well, at the very least, if they just say like, hello, that was great. That's really hard to to be upset by, you know? Right, yeah. You're probably welcoming that kind of positive Mm -hmm. feedback. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that was one little thing was showing up to stuff first. I tried a couple of like random cold emails and those didn't really do anything. But Mm -hmm. I think just showing up and trying to see what's out there in a very, very simple sense. Even if you're like a total introvert, it's really, you can just like sit in the back and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) absorb it, take it all in Mm -hmm. and, and then send an email after the fact instead of, you know, saying hello on the spot. So those are just that was just one, yeah, one random thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's really good advice. And um, I kind of fast forwarding into a collaboration that's happening. Mm-hmm. Could you talk more about what's involved in actually the follow through and like managing a project? How do you approach that? I realize it's a broad question. <laughs> if it's a more involved project, like something with um, with more moving parts or with some kind of interdisciplinary thing, like. Um, uh, my composer collective and I, we just wrapped this project with um, the uh, the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center. And so with them, you know, it was much more communicative. And so we had, we would pencil in monthly meetings or so with the with our collaborators just to do an update and check in, even if nothing had moved. It was just helpful to call and be like, hey, we're still doing this. Here's what the state of things are. Here's what, we're, what grants we're applying for, whether we got those grants. Here's, you know, some example of our, here's some sort of, you know, little sample of what we've been working on, what we've made. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just trying to be communicative and generous in some, and, or like, a, yeah, communicative and, and in some kind of systematized or regular fashion is super helpful. Um, and then having, uh, yeah, just because like that kind of communication builds some level of accountability, I think, in keeping, you know, in yeah. actually keeping each other like. And you know that you're on the same page, too, in that. So nobody's, like, going off in some direction that you have no idea what's happening or vice versa. So you spent a couple years out of school between Peabody and your doctorate. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just two years, yeah. Okay. And so I'm curious, what surprised you most about the time that you had in that gap? I realized it was also during a pandemic, so maybe that's a loaded question. But like, what surprised you about that time period? And what was different than when you were and are in school? I guess one thing was like getting to know what the sort of landscape is for um, trying to be an artist or a professional artist, if you will. 
um, my teacher, uh, Harold Meltzer, in my second year of Peabody, when he knew that when we both realized that I was going to um, be taking a few years off or at least one year off, he gave me, he basically introduced me to this world of like residency, artist residencies that I, I genuinely had no idea or even a thing. I mean, a parent and artist, if I, I'm just going to go on a very brief spiel here, but apparently artist residencies are these like, you know, these kind of magical, wonderful private, found, <laughs> private foundations where artists can apply to and they sort of host, um, you know, like writers and painters and composers on their like campuses or whatever for uh, month long, two month long or two week long stints or whatever. And you just sort of stay there and you have the time and space to just write music or to create art and to work or hang out with other artists. Um, the ideally, you know, a lot of them sort of will cover your living expenses and all that kind of thing. And so I had no idea that any of that existed, that that infrastructure existed in any way, shape or form. And so um, that ended up being supremely helpful for me in my two years off from school because I guess, you know, you're, you're, you're hanging out with a few, with a couple of like, like-minded artists who are really creative and really productive and, and, you know, high and um, oftentimes very accomplished. And you're, you don't have, you said you don't have to worry about things like paying rent or cooking food because all that stuff is taken care of as well. And I guess that was, those are, those are supremely helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. And also <laughs> yeah. motivating too, because you're in this landscape that's intended for, positive kind of either inspiration or positive environment for working and and how did you find the residencies are there are there particular places you went to search did people connect you with them yeah so there? honestly that was a, the list that my, my teacher just gave me a big list essentially he just gave me a mm -hmm. list of here are ones that you want to apply to look into them and go for it and then yeah I was um yeah, and so when I went to, and then, you know, once you go to these residencies, a lot of the other residents will know of other ones to apply to, and you can mm -hmm. ask them, like, oh, which ones have you liked, have you enjoyed, which ones are, have you have been particularly helpful for you, and then just sort of building a mental list in your head. So in addition to residencies, I know you've also won a number of grants, and I'd love to hear how you got started in learning how to apply to grants, what were some of your first experiences with that, and how has that helped funding and also propelling your creative projects forward? I feel like with grants, the main thing that was important was learning to talk about your work, you know, because like, the whole mm, notion yeah. of grants really is like you're, you're pitching people, you know, some idea of yours that, 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 that oftentimes does that most of the time, 95% of the time will not really exist yet. Right. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. where, and, and so I think that if there's anything that was interesting or exciting to me, it was this idea of trying to explain or figure out how to sort of describe your creative work, um, whether it exists or doesn't exist yet. Uh, and so that was something that was, I think, um, that was particularly exciting for me at Peabody, where I remember we had a whole, it was a whole like, class on that I remember now. Um, and But even like beyond the, stru the structures of class, I think just having friends around you who are all composers and who are all trying to, you know, make these, have these sort of big high-minded sort of ideas and projects that they're working on, um, just trying to share and describe your work with each other. It's been like, hey, I have this idea or, or for a piece. Here, let me just, let me just inflict this on you. <laughs> and you can, you can tell me what you think about it. Um, and then sort of going back and forth and hearing each other's ideas. That was super exciting for me. And that sort of began to help me figure out like, you know, how does one write about or talk about your own work? How do you provide context for it? How do you get somebody interested in what you're trying to do? And then, so, and those skills ended up being, well, really useful once you got to the whole, once like, I was out of school and I realized I needed to sort of find some way to sustain some kind of, you know, creative 
the creative work or creative practice that I had going. Um, and I guess honestly, a lot of that was just, and then from there it was just Googling, like finding like what grants were out there, what things, um, what kinds of, uh, yeah, organizations were out funding artists and all that, and then trying to figure out how best to explain what the project was and not just from, and to go from these like philosophical places to a very, to take, to sort of take your project as you're writing about it from this very philosophical place to a very like concrete, like here's the deliverable, here's what we're actually going to do, here's what it will look like, on what time span, and here's how much money we're going to need, um, whether it's recording or performing fee, artist fees, you know, or um, transportation fees, even if there's, you know, a lot of running around that's involved or um, commissioning an album artwork or whatever and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I would imagine that also ties in really well with, like, pitching collaborations like which we talked about at the beginning because Mm -hmm. you're you're kind of in both cases you're kind of trying to create a picture of here's what we can do together Mm -hmm. yeah exactly exactly being able to communicate that effectively Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and so I think I will say that I think with grants if there's anything I feel like somehow with you know with pitching to a collaborator it's it might it's a little bit easier in the sense that you know Mm -hmm. I think they're also excited about trying to make something in a way with you whether it's um especially if they're your friends and so on some level with friends collaborators it almost doesn't matter how you know it's excited to discover the idea together whereas I feel like Mm -hmm. with grants unfortunately you have to be a I just I found that things have to be a little bit more sort of crystallized in a way where yeah you know you can't just say I want to make something cool it's going to be really cool I don't know what it's going to be but it's going to be cool I can tell you that much (laughs) you know that's a really good way to put it it has to be more specific because they need to see what they're investing in I, th- I think one thing that I found was surprisingly useful was uh, one surprisingly useful way of thinking about it was it's it's almost when you're trying to write a grant proposal at least for, or at least some element of like describing what piece you're you want to write you kind of have to almost write the program note for the piece before you even write the piece if that makes oh, sense like you're sort of ex- yeah. that's how I've sort of thought yeah, of it yeah that's interesting to make it fe- and also to make it feel a little bit less I don't know. Um, I don't know businessy to me, so to speak, is to try and to try and make it feel more artistically fulfilling. As I try to describe or explain to myself, like here's what the piece will be about, and here are the the here's the reason why it's going to be interesting and resonant, and 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 all of that. I, do you have any advice for current students at Peabody or elsewhere? Um, what are the resources and the things that they should take advantage of to help them? Be prepared for all these kinds of opportunities down the road. Having like uh, just two, even just two, like two like solid or, or like our recordings that sort of represent what you're interested in and what you do, I found to be ridiculously useful. And just because you know, if you're if you're trying to present yourself to um to like grant committees or something, you know, talking and being able to write you know, coherently about your music is obviously really, really important, but also being able to show any, any kind of like high quality sort of, you know, product of like what you're, what you've made before makes a really, really big difference. And this is that, there's that weird chicken and egg problem that so many, um, you know, that you can run into with a lot of the sort of post, post school, which is like, you know, there's some competition or some award or some project that you can apply to, and, you know, if you get it, then you'll get some great recording out of it. But then to to apply for it, you already have to have a good recording. And so there's this weird sort of like chicken, you know, sort of. Yeah. You need some kind get... of proof of work sample in order to apply for the thing that will help you get another. Right. Proof of work <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
No, I, I totally agree. And also at school, you're, you have access to these, you have access to halls, you have access to musicians around you that maybe would be interested in playing your work. So there's tools there and people that can help you to do, to do that in a way that, at least in my experience, is not as necessarily as available outside of school. I don't know what that ex- experience yeah. is for you. Yeah, hundred percent. It's just like outside of school. It's, I mean, while you're in school, there's this kind of, there's also this kind of just attitude or mood of like, yo, let's put on a show, you know, like mm-hmm. we're, we're all friends. We're all here. Let's do this. You know, and even if you have no clue what you're doing, or even if you, I think, especially if you have no clue what you're doing, it's exciting. And yeah, but then the minute you're out of school, there's a, that, that sense of, I don't know, anarchic glee that comes from just making random projects with your friends. Not that it dries up. I don't think it dries up necessarily. But there's just more questions of like, you know, we all have to make make money. We all have to live mm-hmm. somehow. And then it becomes more difficult, I think, to sort of put together and string together, you know, to find like-minded friends in the, who all have overlapping schedules yeah. and who all share the same vision to make something. Um, so yeah, while you're definitely. in school, I don't know, I got to admit, it's just, it's so much easier to do yeah and you, can pull together, you can pull together stuff that you can't really anywhere else right I mean when you're in school you I mean you have access like the Peabody Symphony right and I mean from personal experience I can tell you it's very hard to try to pull together a symphony after you're or an orchestra after you're out of school it's like that's something um I will and then I'll, I'll just wrap up with one last question which is how have your goals and priorities changed or have they changed since you started Peabody, graduated from Peabody, had these two years off, started um, school at Princeton. How have they changed or are they the same? I think the sort of long-term goal hasn't really shifted. You know, the long-term goal was from the start was always just like, I would love to be able to to be a composer, <laughs> whatever uh-huh. whatever that looks like in my mind. I um, were somehow a professional composer able to sustain work and just compose regularly. Um, yeah, and that much hasn't changed. The the sort of if there's anything that shifted, it was sort of this notion of or discovering like what it meant to like or discovering what it was like to try to actually get there. If that makes sense, mm, I remember yeah. when I first got to Peabody, I felt like I was I was just really I just had no idea. I just again just knew nothing about the world, knew nothing about what any of how any of this stuff worked, and so um, I remember talking to one of my teachers about this too, like. I remember feeling like, I was like, oh, the only way to really make it as a composer is like, oh, you have to like win all these like little tiny awards or something, right? Or put more stuff on your resume or something like that or whatever. And, and that was such a, and looking back, that was such a like silly kind of naive way of approaching it. Um, and I think, and, and if over time, what clarified to me was like, oh, okay, like no one really cares like what, like commissioners don't really care what awards you've won, what things are on your resume. Like what, they, what matters more is like, for, for one, on one hand, just, you know, if people want to work with you, it's because they 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 know you, and so um, trying to build out like a um, trying to just like develop a sense of confidence as a collaborator and as an artist, I think became a really major um, priority of mine by maybe my second year of Peabody, or maybe even after graduating. There became this idea of um, clarifying what exactly it was that I wanted to say in my music, like what this stuff is about like what is you know uh, what is what am I hoping to accomplish what kind of artistic um, statement if you will am I trying to make or say in what I write Um, and that became that I think ultimately became this like really big that's still actually a major priority of mine today is sort of trying to clarify what I'm (laughs) artistically and philosophically trying to do I just feel like that's ultimately that matters 
um, at least in, in my head, that to me, I feel like that matters so much more than than anything else. You know, trying to like develop and figure out a, a sense of personal meaning and purpose in what you write and where someone's going to hear your music and be like, oh yeah, that is a, that's, that, that piece could only have been written by that person, you know, mm-hmm. and that developing that kind of voice and meaning and purpose, I think is, I've found to be my sort of major priority at this point. Um, because I don't know, I mean, uh, from a more just, um, again, possibly cynical or um, <laughs> uh, mindset, it's like, you know, if, if, the commissioners want you to write like you or musicians want you to write like you, right? And the idea is if you've come up with something that's, if you find a way to be really individual or to speak your, to speak your mind or you're not in a, I don't know, in a singular fashion, I feel like people will gravitate towards that. You know, like if you're conversely, if, if, if everything that one's writing feels sort of um, maybe confused in terms of its identity or feels um, maybe I, I don't quite know how to say this about being coming across as potentially offensive in some way, like generic or something. I like, I don't know. I feel like it's just, that's not, not a great, not an ideal place to be. At least, at least that's how I personally feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's really helpful. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Bobby, for sharing your time and your yeah, insights with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks a bunch for asking. It was, it was a lot of fun. We're going to close the episode with a clip of one of Bobby's recent compositions called Variations for the Worlds Below. This piece is part of The Ocean's Cry, which is a visual album created by the composer's collective Consonance in collaboration with the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center. You can check out the full album at any of your preferred streaming platforms and see more details in the podcast notes. Thank you for listening.